Hey everybody, how's it going? Today's episode is a good one for you and I'm so excited to bring it. Uh, this is one of those conversations that you hope that you can have when you start a podcast, or at least I was hoping that I could have when I started this podcast. And um, I hope that you enjoyed as much as I enjoyed having the conversation. My guest today is the assistant professor in the Department of Biomedical Sciences at the New York Institute of Technology's College of Osteopathic Medicine and the director of their Center for Biomedical Innovation. He's a neuroscientist and a cell biologist. He's the brother of a former guest, Warren Stout, who is a black belt in Gracie Jiu-Jitsu. And he's also a college wrestler um, and a blue belt under Sean Williams. But his main focus these days is on the cell biology of the brain and how these cells interact. And he's been doing all kinds of interesting research around CBD uh, and even into virtual reality and the tools that aid students in learning and um, all kinds of really cool experimental things. We talked about a lot of cool stuff. We talked about sleep. We talked about supplementation. We talked about brain injury. We even talked about simulation theory, which I've been into a lot, but having a conversation with an actual neuroscientist about his thoughts on simulation theory, if it's real, and I think you're going to be finding it very interesting. I'll quit rambling um, because you're going to want to tune in, share this episode with your friends. I also want to point out that these thoughts are solely of his. Um, they don't represent the thoughts of the school. Um, they don't represent the thoughts of other guests. They're his. And uh, I really appreciate him coming on and sharing them because I don't get the opportunity to have conversations with people this intelligent. And when I do, I get very curious and ask a lot of things. So give it up for my guest, Randy Stout. But before we enjoy it, I want to give a big shout out to Action, always a supporter of this podcast and the best specialty coffee and natural supplements that you're going to try. If you're a coffee drinker, I tell you now, go to drinkaction.com, action with a K, and order some coffee. Maybe you want to try Rumble Time, which is a really awesome new blend with Anthony Rumble Johnson. It's a kind of hybrid roast between dark and medium. It's high in caffeine. It's super strong, super smooth. Or maybe you haven't tried coffee before or you, you kind of struggle with it. You might want to try Ambitious, which is like, it's actually the coffee that I started to drink um, to kick a, a really bad energy drink habit. In addition to coffee, natural supplements, things like turmeric, hemp, um, MCTs, all of the great things that our bodies crave and need to perform well, and that uh, I believe in a ton. So go to the website, drinkaction.com, action with a K, use code word curious for 15% off, and make sure you do it now. Enjoy the show, folks. It's a pleasure. I'm, I'm excited to speak with you uh, uh, after, especially after the podcast uh, that I've been listening to some of the other podcasts. It's been, uh, it's been really interesting, the varied conversations. So it's, I'm looking forward to it. Oh, thanks, man. You're, I mean, as I think everybody who listens to this knows, you're on a different level. Uh, I'm way over my head here. And uh, it's part of the reason why I enjoy having these types of conversations and learning um, as much as I can about things that interest me. And when I spoke with your brother, 
you know, we, we chatted a little bit after the podcast and he was telling me about the work that you had been doing. And I was instantly like, man, any chance you think he'd be willing to have a conversation with me? So uh, I was super pumped when we were able to line this up, but maybe to give everybody else an understanding, um, you're a neuroscientist and cell biologist, correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I do. Um, I study the brain. I study the cells of the brain and how they work. And in particular, um, how they work in the context of uh, processing information and, and how their function, how the brain works and how the cells that make it up work in different disease conditions and disorders, neurological disorders, um, across a range of different types of, of research. Uh, a lot of it's at the very small scale, but we're also doing research on um, whole, whole people uh, in the form of virtual reality training and stuff like that. So it really varies and um, it's exciting to be able to do that kind of research and have such a varied uh, area that we could do, we can do this, the studies in, so yeah. The first thing that came to mind was for me, like performance, you know what I mean? Like how can people get more out of their brain? You always hear like we use 10% of our brains and I'm, I'm pretty sure I dispelled that a long time ago. I'm correct. That's not a true statement, right? No, that's not true. Uh, it's, it's interesting, you know, that where that might've come from. Uh, we, we don't use, we use a hundred percent of our brain all the time. It's just being used differently under different, you know, conditions and when you're doing different things. And so, uh, you can, you can use it uh, only in certain ways for a certain amount of time. And that's when your, your brain gets tired, you have to sleep, uh, you have to take a break, uh, things like that. So, but yeah, we, 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 we use more than 10%. We use the whole brain all the time uh, as we're sitting here talking or when we're even, you know, just dazing off and thinking about things creatively and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, no, I, I, you know, I just had a, a cup of coffee, you know, the caffeine invigorates me. I take, supplements, different types of things. I, I take alpha brain religiously, which is an on it supplement and nootropic. Is that in the realm of, are those types of compounds and um, natural supplements, things that are impacting the areas of the brain that you would be studying? And, and is that the work that someone like yourself would be doing? Yeah. So, I mean, first of all, I should say that, you know, I'm not, I've, I've been training as a scientist for the last 20 years. I'm not a, a, a physician. So I, anything I say, it's not medical advice, obviously. Um, it's not even really, I'm not speaking on behalf of the medical school where I teach and, and do my research. But yeah, that's exactly the type of research. I'm looking at how the, the brain cells function. And so a lot of the work that your brain has to do is taking up different compounds and, and making it useful as fuel as uh, getting rid of waste. And all of these things are impacted by your diet, uh, getting the right supplements and vitamins and getting enough sleep is important. Um, so yeah, and uh, I one of the most popular, and I think it's actually, it has some benefits within, if you, if you have it within reason, is, is uh, coffee and caffeine. There's, a, there's, there's so many different compounds in any kind of, uh, you know, drink or natural thing that you have, whether it's caffeine or, or CBD, a lot of people take that now. Um, or if, if you're taking cannabis itself, as, as, as all of these different things, they have just a huge number of different compounds in them. And each one it affects your brain and the rest of your body in, in all different ways. Um, I'm a, a big caffeine uh, drinker to stay awake and for long nights, uh, either in the lab or um, here, you know, writing, writing research papers and analyzing data. 
And uh, yeah, um, I think all of these things can be good. It, it, you can get more out of your time and you can, um, they can help you both in, in cre creative endeavors or, or with work or whatever you're, you're doing. Um, it's important to kind of keep it within reason. You know, you don't want to go crazy because anything you take, even if it's, if it's caffeine or, or um, even regular like vitamin supplements, if you take too much of them, they're going to switch from being helpful to, to harmful. So uh, it's important to, to, to think about it and, and look for, you know, solid recommendations. Um, and, you know, if you're, if you really have something wrong, I mean, you, you can't, you can't take enough supplements to fix a broken bone or something like that, or, or an infection. Um, it can help, you know, getting enough sleep and, and, and getting uh, proper nutrition and, and um, supplements can help with inflammation and tissue damage. Um, but uh, at some point, there's some things that those things just won't fix and you do have to go to the, uh, go to, go to see your doctor at some point. So uh, yeah, yeah, it's, um, it's definitely something that used properly can really give you an edge in, in both work or sports or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned sleep and I want to come back to that, but um, as far as like performance, right? What are, what are the things inside of our brains that an athlete, especially who's trying to, you know, maybe increase reaction time or cognition or even just somebody in their everyday life, somebody that's a business person, what are the things that they do have the ability to improve? And how, how is it that somebody can theoretically improve those things? So, um, you know, it's, it's a matter of your, your brain functioning in a way that it produces the chemicals that it communicates between the cells in your brain. In order to do that, it needs to um, regulate properly what's in your blood and whether the, the things that are in your blood are getting into your brain. And so things like your attention levels that are governed by things like acetylcholine, um, there's different neurotransmitters that are in your brain. And so depending on just your state and whether you have good nutrition, supplements can help in certain cases. And there's different time scales to that. So if you have chronic inflammation, for example, it's gonna change the, one of the things that I focus my research on is the, the barrier, the gateway that, pre that prevents the wrong things from getting from your blood that's circulating through, through the blood vessels in your brain uh, into the brain itself and affecting things. And both sleep and uh, stress and nutritional deficits, all of these things can, can affect that. And when you start to wear yourself out, let's say with working too hard, working too many late nights uh, or training too hard and you have inflammation due to damage, let's say you, you, you really uh, hurt your knee or you, or you get kicked in the leg with leg kicks a whole bunch and you have, start to have some muscle breakdown. In those cases, you, you need to, perhaps get some extra uh, help with regard to build, maintaining and building, for example, that barrier, the ability to utilize the energy, the glucose that gets transported into your brain. Um, and so different supplements and different, uh, just really good nutrition, eating well is, is important. Mm -hmm. And so that's something I've been trying to work on more and more. As, as my research has been going on, both the sleeping, if I can, and getting a uh, better nutrition is something I've been, I've been trying to do. It, it's hard when you're so busy sometimes, but it, it's, uh, it helps your brain uh, heal and maintain, but also 
stay in a state where you're going to have better um, performance, thinking performance. And that outputs into, as you know, you probably know when you're super tired, you, you get injured more often, you make more mistakes mm -hmm. because you, you just don't have that mental capacity to, to, to have your, to, to drive your body's performance and positioning, especially in combat type sports where there's a lot of these, where you have to just constantly be on to prevent like a joint from getting tweaked the wrong way or something like that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's uh, it's something that looking back upon my days in in uh, wrestling and jujitsu, um, I uh, I think there if I would have known what I know now, I would have done a lot of things differently as far as nutrition and sleep, and I would have taken different supplements, better better supplements. <laughs> so that all those things are important, um, and they help your brain be able to maintain the chemistry that it needs to to be able to you know perform at the at the highest level. Mm -hmm. Are you familiar with the name Courtney Doalter? No, no, no. She's a, an ultra marathon runner, um, just a complete freak of nature. Mentally, I think more than anything, where she'll run, you know, 48 hours straight and sleep very little. Yeah. And um, I over, I came across an interview and they were talking, uh, I think Cam Haynes, the bow hunter, was talking about a, a run that he went on with her and that, she had been going for hours without sleep and stopped and they took a two minute nap mm. and that two minute nap reset her completely. Yeah. And, but they spoke about it as if it was almost like a scientific fact, like almost like yeah. this is something that is scientifically known and she's figured out a way to unlock that and then really pick back up and keep going as if she got a long restful sleep. Is that possible yeah it, it's there's a couple of things that could be going on uh one thing some people are just stronger than others uh some people can recover sleep faster but there's also the training component you know what i mean there if somebody who's healthy and exercises so much uh and at the same time is kind of training their brain to re recover quickly um that person is going to if they if they have the in you know natural ability to do that they can do that and they, they can recover some of what so sleep we don't totally understand sleep right now um it doesn't uh, probably it probably has um several overlapping functions for uh resetting your brain so that you can um, learn new memories perhaps transfer memories to long-term from, from like a more of a short-term memory to a longer-term memory um but importantly it's also clearing out waste uh like just the chemical waste I, you can even think of it as like the very smallest parts of your brain kind of take on oxidation or like rust and there's there's a variety of just breakdown things when you're when you're thinking a lot and what you sleep does is it your, your brain actually changes its structure slightly and it allows you to release that out and then your your kidneys and, and your liver deal with those those waste products um, but that, so there's, there's different things that sleep are doing and that short bout of sleep, it might get an outsized, um, level of benefit for her because she's kind of trained herself to, to do that and take advantage of these very brief, uh, periods of sleep. Other things that sleep are doing, you're probably not going to get that even if you do that two minute, uh, thing, it, you can kind of recover some of your attention, but if you did that for years, you would have this buildup of damage and, and waste products, uh, chemical, you know, very, you know, protein waste products in your brain. And uh, so she wouldn't want to do that 
as her way of sleeping. But some of the aspects of sleep, you can recover very quickly, especially if you've trained to do that. Um, there's, there's some evidence that you can kind of go into a semi-sleep state uh, and it's possible that some athletes might be able to, endurance athletes, long endurance athletes might be able to do something like that. Um, and there you're kind of getting some of the benefits to, of sleep without falling into that completely, you know, unconscious mode of, of, of deep sleep. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so certain parts of your brain might be able to kind of take on some of the aspects of sleep uh, that, that it needs to. So that's one of the things you kind of just, when you daze off, kind of like lose focus when you're yeah. super tired, it's probably your brain kind of going into a semi shutdown state to try to protect itself and get some of these waste products, be able to get them out and, and deal with some of the buildup of damage that's been occurring over the waking hours <laughs> over time. It, yeah. Is that similar? You know, I, I can't tell you how many times I've been driving down the road and I'm sure everybody listening to this knows exactly what I'm talking about. And you get like 10 minutes in and you're like, I don't remember the last 10 minutes. You were yeah. almost on autopilot. And yeah. sometimes I'm really like freaked out by that and think like one of these times it's going to end tragically. But then I hear so many other people talk about it happening to them that it makes yeah. me actually kind of amazed at our brain because it's almost able to do a better job driving on its own than it would be with me recalling what I did for the last 10 miles. Yeah. So in that case, I mean, I don't want to advocate driving when you're tired. <laughs> I yeah, do it right a lot now. too. I drove, I drove from uh, Pennsylvania out to Wyoming once without, without stopping except for gas. But uh, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't advocate that. But, you know, I think people's brains work differently. Just like you were saying, Courtney can get two minutes of sleep and be back on like that. Mm -hmm. I think some people, uh, they're, they're going into that mode of just kind of unconscious doing things is is uh it's going to be different for for different people and in a lot of people's case they're not going to have a drop in performance uh unless something comes out of the blue you know what i mean if, if some some weird thing happens while you're driving which rarely does at that time of night uh you'll have to switch out of that mode very quickly and you will i mean you're, you you'll you're you're still seeing what's going on, on the road in front of you and stuff uh, so so i don't think it's you're you've you've basically disengaged some of the stuff that's going on in the front, front part of your brain um, and your attention is, is shifted to into this back mode, but it's not probably going to reduce your, you know, performance as far as staying on the road and, and, you know, being able to respond to things in a meaningful way. It's going to vary from person to person, but mm -hmm. it's just different brain states, you know, and so that could be kind of like a, you're preserving your really high attention really on, like you're trying to work out a hard math problem or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, you, you're probably turning, kind of turning off that part of your brain. You're not really turning it off. You're just switching it into a state where it can kind of recover and prepare for the next round of real high intensity concentration or thought. And it so, makes sense. I'm, I'm very much, I'm intense on my thoughts. Like when I'm in thought and, or I'm focused on something, I'm very intense with that. So that would make a lot of sense to me then that in a moment where maybe I'm just driving down the turnpike that I've driven on a hundred times, I kind of shut a little bit of that intensity of concentration off because it's more a mundane task, I guess. Yeah. I mean, you've probably seen these, these pictures of people's brains where they have the different colors and, it, and it's an indication of, of the activity. 
that's really the, the, the drop in the level of oxygen and glucose or glucose, depending on what type of imaging you're looking at of the person's brain. And what that, what that is, is, there's, is the scientists are seeing which part of the brains are being used more or less than in relation to the other parts of the brain. The uh, tissue by tissue basis, let's say the front of your brain or the back of your brain, whatever. Um, and what your brain does is it just kind of, it can't have everything going full bore all the time. Uh, it's got to switch something into like a, into a less active state to switch it over to a higher active state. And it's really like overclocking your computer in some cases. Um, where you're, you're, you're driving more, more actual energy uh, from the blood, you're driving more um, you know, connectivity and, and activity of the neurons feeding into these different regions of your brain. And so you're, you're kind of just have to allocate from, from one part of the brain to another over time uh, in order to be able to manage the, the resources within your brain. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what you're seeing in those images, how, how the, the person who's being studied with these uh, uh, MRI imaging techniques, how they're shifting their uh, fuel, their chemical resources uh, that come via the blood supply to different parts of their brain in order to accomplish the task the best they can. And so that's why training and focus uh, can, can actually enhance your ability to do stuff like that. Um, when, you, when you're training or you're training for sports or for, you know, if you're training to, you know, do a certain task for, for work or something. Mm-hmm. So they would be, they would be stimulating with something so that they can then monitor what the reaction is to that stimulus. Yes. Uh, and, and that's, there, there's different methods for doing that. Um, put people are, are putting people in different scenarios. They're presenting them, you know, through auditory, you know, they're playing sounds or giving them tasks to think about. Um, they're trying to, drive people into a meditative state. Um, then there's other techniques where you can uh, actually have people solving problems and starting to get where we can have people doing tasks and actually looking at the brain activity over time. And it gives us insights into, you know, how different, pe- how different people are from person to person mm-hmm. and how different people change over their age, you know, as you get older, how that changes. And there's, there's a lot of studies on going on. I'm, I'm not doing any right now in my lab, but there's a lot of studies going on seeing like how, if you're sleep deprived, how, how does that, how well or, or uh, less well are you able to shift the resources in your brain and stuff like that? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Not to get sidetracked, but you're, I'm thinking as you're telling me all this, is there any of this happening in like law enforcement I'm thinking of like people in high stress jobs who, you know, it's really easy for us to place, you know, Monday morning quarterback in situations that we see on Twitter all the time, but obviously extremely high stress job, split second decisions where it's life or death and you're constantly being put into that stress. I would imagine there's got to be things that we could invest in to the law enforcement community, to military, to anybody that's in, in those situations on a regular basis to better understand how different types of individuals' brains react, because then ultimately that gives us the tools to really start to solve some problems that might not be just as simple as some of us think, but are a lot deeper in how folks are kind of interacting with each other on a, on a regular basis. Yeah, so the, the whole issue of when, when, when we're in stressful situations, it really changes how the chemistry of our brain and, and how it functions, um, how the 
the, the activity plays out over the different parts of the brain, even down to the, the cellular level. Um, it, it does so many things and it does it over different time scales that, you know, we have to be very careful about training, for example, because if the training gets too realistic and we put people in too high stress scenarios, you can even drive people towards PTSD and stuff like that. You know what I mean? And through the training, um, if it's just, just unbelievably intense. And with stress, uh, you have, in a, in a maybe a shorter term time scale, you have heightened awareness and, um, and heightened attention. In the longer run, and I, just, I was just a small part of a recent study on this, uh, you, you have thing, you, you don't learn things as well. You kind of, um, you, the new information that, that, you could, that, that comes in doesn't, doesn't for, like alter the connections in your brain the right way. And so it's really important to, to do the research to see how we can optimize the training to get better outcomes in these stressful situations where people's lives are on the, on the, in, the their lives are on the edge. They're, they're building up stress week after week. It's, mm -hmm. it's, they're probably low on sleep and their, their brain is changing chemistry and we need to be able to help try to get back to a, a state where more rational and, and better decisions can be made. That, that's easy. Again, as you were saying, yeah. Monday morning quarterbacking, that's easy to say now when you're not in there. I mean, I've been in situations where, you know, certainly not in, on that scale with, with either military or police. I've never been in those types of situations, but um, situations where there's kind of the, the, there's physical danger on the line and uh, <laughs> um, you, you have to, you have to be able to, you have this reactivity that you, you can get carried away with things. Uh, something that normally you'd make the right decision, it makes it hard. Uh, and, and it goes both ways. It, it's, it's always, you're in, when you're in a situation like that, it, it's tough to make the, the, the right decision is, is sometimes, you know, very, it's like, you know, it's, it, it might be unpopular, but it's also in a, in a, in a wilderness of like other possibilities because things just kind of go sideways. It gets strange when, 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 when there's multiple people involved and, and there's crowd, you don't know what's behind you. It's dark or whatever. Um, it's, it changes how your brain works and you, you'll end up making what might've been a good decision uh, at the time. But if you're able to look at it from uh, what ends up happening, you don't know what's going to happen next in those situations. Yeah. And so things just kind of spiral out of control. I think we can uh, use like uh, technology um, and studying the biometrics. So things like how somebody's heart rate changes in training scenarios, we can get better about collecting data and fitting it to models. And so I think some of the other areas that I'm working with VR and combining that with using artificial intelligence to analyze like like disparate, like many different data streams about how a person's performing. Mm -hmm. I think that that uh, is going to help a lot, even in these situations where you're, you're far from a, 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 a place where it's dark and you're, you're in mortal danger and other people are in mortal danger and you don't know what's, how somebody's going to react to something. That's very different, but we can, we can kind of apply the principles of scientific testing to figure out better ways of 
training people to deal with those situations. Um, and so we have all these different art, you know, data streams that now we can collect. We, we can see where somebody's looking uh, in virtual reality. We can at the same time monitor their heart rate. We even have this new system that we got in at, at the New York Institute of Technology where I'm, where I'm in the center that I, that I lead, where we can record, it's a different form of brain activity than what I was talking about earlier. Um, it's kind of a large scale electrical activity, but we can even do that while somebody's in a virtual environment experiencing things that you would never be able to get them to experience in the lab. You know, I mean, this is just a crazy example, but you could have a giant monster attacking them, for example, and, and see how their brain activity is changing. You see how their heart rate responds. Um, and it's really, I think, important to see how they then respond it, depending upon their actions. And so that's another thing with, with gamification and VR. You're, it's not just like you're a, a, a passive you know, person experiencing it. It is that, but you're, you're experiencing, but your actions change the outcome in the virtual environment. And so when we can see how the person's body and activity, their brain activity responds to what they do and the outcomes of what they do in the virtual environment. I think that's a new, it, it's not entirely new, but I think it's a, there's so much new and, and expanded opportunity of, for that with virtual reality and combining it with, with uh, you look at using artificial intelligence to make sense of, of the data we're getting out of, out of uh, virtual reality. No, that's so cool. Now, did I hear correctly from your brother that you've done, you've done a lot of this work with performance athletes, correct? Yeah, we are starting to, uh, we have a, uh, we have, um, a center for sports medicine. that's separate from the research arm that I'm, I'm running this, this called the center for innovations. It's all technology, imaging, microscopy. Uh, we're, we're, we're starting to work together on that, on those things. These two, two different, um, you know, research and treatment arms at, at the Institute of Technology where I work. Um, they, uh, so we're doing a lot of that. We're, we're starting, we're building virtual reality environments where we can see how somebody's performance in different types of tests. So both kind of like your classic, you know, boxing type performance and also just simpler games and, and simple addition that, it gets hard when you start getting tired. And so we're coupling that with getting your heart rate up and getting you, making you um, getting cardiovascular tired, you know, and, and, and seeing how that's changing your ability to solve simple problems or your ability to, uh, you know, respond and basically slip a punch or, or uh, deliver the, the right punch at the right time. Uh, so we're building, you know, both animations for, for uh, boxing training in virtual reality and also where you can have combos and we, like I have this great medical student who's really an expert programmer. He's a, he's a neuroscientist in his, uh, when he was doing his master's degree in neuroscience, really a star medical student that's, that's working with me. Uh, he's up in Connecticut. I'm down here in Long Island and we're, we're doing bits training uh, in a program that he and I, especially him, uh, we built from like the code up and we're doing it in virtual reality in real time. And I'm, you know, holding up, you know, doing the, the thing where you flip your hand up and for a reaction time for a jab or something like that. And uh, it's really cool because then we can record all of this and see how, you know, how he, his reaction time, uh, how it changes over the course of him getting tired. And 
it, it's it's cool in this in this day and age too because um, we can do that. We we you know it it sometimes. Yeah, exactly. I can hear you now. Can you hear yeah, me? There you go. Yeah, no just worries, man. It just kind of cut out in the middle of the, the meeting. All good. Guess what? You, you can probably edit the, all this, uh, this uh, out, right? Oh, perfectly. Trust me. There's been way worse that's happened. I, uh, I got through 25 minutes of one and realized that I didn't click the record button. Like the cla <laughs> Literally the classic should have been the first bullet point on my to-do list for how to run a successful podcast is I'm like, uh, I apologize. Can we go back and rehash all that? But no, dude, you're, you're getting into the, the virtual, virtual reality stuff. And I was going to ask you when you were bringing that up, where, like, where is this going to be in 10 years? Because I remember the very first virtual reality program that I tried out. And I was like, that's really cool. But it's, I don't see what the big hype is. And I guess I didn't have the foresight to understand where it is now. But I mean, it's insane now. And technology is only increasing, right? So like yeah. in 10 years, I can't imagine it almost lends credibility to simulation theory, which I wanted to kind of touch on with you a little bit um, just because of your ties with virtual reality. But I mean, where is this going? Yeah. So um, uh, yeah, I'd be, I'd be happy to talk about that. I've, I've thought about that some and, and uh, read about that some, uh, but uh, where's it going? I don't think anybody can say, but uh, one thing is um, you're going to have a convergence of, of, augmented reality and virtual reality because a lot of people think that the virtual reality headsets are really a form of wearable uh, technology right i mean it's big and it covers your eyes and stuff but now the newer ones it has this pass-through mode where you can see the world around you and you can you just basically slide on a sliding scale how much of the outside world you see and how much of the inside world the virtual world world you see um we're going to want to maintain that ability to go fully immersed in virtual reality. That's, that's something that I think a lot of people uh, that aren't, that, that don't realize that we're going to, we're going to have the wearable, like the Google glass type thing, but there's always going to be a place for full uh, blocking out the world entirely type of virtual reality. Um, where's it going to go uh, as far as like the next developments? If I could tell you that would be, uh, you know, uh, that'd be something, but I, I think it's going to move more into additional forms of haptic feedback. So mm -hmm. the, you know, there's that old uh, Nintendo virtual reality back in the eighties, right? Uh, where it's like a grid, but you had the two eyes. So it looked like things were 3d. Uh, the, the, the jump to now is that we have the, the always increasing computational power. And so we can create these more realistic virtual worlds. We have newer display technologies that we can have higher, higher and higher resolution. The big thing that is the reason why I'm using virtual reality at all is this ability for the user to interact with the virtual world um, more realistically and more intuitively. So the Oculus, the, the original Oculus Rift with the touch controllers, that was a big jump over these like putting your phone into the Google Cardboard and stuff like that. Those are cool things and you can see things in 3D. But the real benefit is when you can start to uh, interact with the world. And so in a really, in a long roundabout way that involves uh, my brother and Pittsburgh and all this stuff, uh, that's why I'm doing all the virtual reality stuff is because it allows you to, uh, it's a tool in, in the digital world or virtual world. It's a way for us to interact. And so where it's going to go in the future is going to be 
increasing that for one thing. Um, and then on the other side of it, we're going to increasingly have artificial intelligence coming in. And we're going to have um, procedurally generated worlds and procedurally generated characters that react um, in ways that are probably indistinguishable from real world people. And the physics are going to get better and better. And it's not going to be where somebody has to spend, you know, a team has to spend a year of their lives coding a, a, and, and developing a video game. It's going to be like free roaming where, where it develops based on the computer writing it as you go. Um, and so the ever increasing power of artificial intelligence in writing its own code as, as that really takes off is going to um, it's going to be another place where it really moves forward and changes in gaming and in training type scenarios and using VRs is going to be one of those really big areas, I think. Yeah, so you're kind of leading right into where I was going with this, right? So you, you mentioned that artificial intelligence being able to create indistinguishable elements of this artificial reality. So if things can be indistinguishable from reality and we can theoretically understand that in the future, that's where it's going to go. How do we know if we are there already or not? Um, you know, this is, uh, this is the realm of, of physicists and mathematicians. Um, the, and, and it's, it is outside of my area to some degree, I would say it's something that I've thought about a lot. Um, and particularly as video games, but even back in, you know, 20 years ago, um, I had this kind of sarcastic uh, saying that I, I would say one of those fighting games uh, from the early days was, it was more real than reality. So I was, this is about 20 years ago. I was, I was saying that as a joke, just kind of being sarcastic. But um, the, uh, you know, I don't think we, we can, uh, and I don't know how much it matters whether it's a simulation or not, you know? And maybe it does. May, there, there may be times when we can kind of use whether we think it is or not to um, project our ex expectations of uh, what could be discovered next, um, whether or not there's gonna be some kind of uh, logical structure to the, the next steps of discovery, uh, really in areas outside of mostly outside of my research is that we're talking about like quantum mechanics and, and uh, that type of area of science. Uh, it does impinge in some ways, or it does come into my research in my area in, in the case of consciousness and stuff. And we have this kind of illusion that we're taking in sensory information from the outside and that our actions are interacting with the outside world. Um, and that's a useful way to understand it. Uh, the signals move from, you know, your peripheral, uh, from your limbs and your sensory, uh, your, your sensory nerves, they transmit information to your brain. Uh, in other ways, uh, I think we can try to think about things differently in that we are, are your, your brain, my brain, we're constantly basically accessing very short-term memories because what we think is coming in and what we're seeing is really a memory of what was going on in a couple of layers of cells uh, back from, from where we're forming some kind of an understanding, presumably in our sensory, central nervous system in our brain, um, 
these are memories about what those, the activity of those cells in your retina, in your visual cortex. And when you see, think you see something in front of you, it's a, it, you can think of it as a sensory input, but you can also think of it in a completely flipped way and thinking of it as extremely short-term, very different from our memories about where our, how to get from our house to our, to our work. But they're really memories about what our brain is trying to understand what's going on in the world around us. Uh, and so our, we can also think of our brain as using memories to constantly simulate what it thinks the outside world is like. And so it is getting kind of, kind of, no, I love it. but I love um, it. It, it, we almost have to be in a simulation because our brain and, and our understanding of, of our place in the world and what it means is definitely based on memories that we're trying to simulate and, and, and create an understanding or a recognition of, of what's around us. And to kind of go along with that, flipping things in the opposite of what most neuroscientists and what most people think about as sensory information coming in, and instead thinking of those as just a very different and very short-term memory, the motor output that we're doing, we're basing what, what actions we're telling our muscles to keep our eyelids open so we can keep getting the, the, these very short-term visual type memories uh, data stream. Uh, and have that as a memory input into the simulation that our brain is creating all the time. That motor output, so the driving of our motor neurons, can be thought of as actually the input into the simulation because we're basing what we think will happen based on our, what we tell our muscles to do uh, is based on that simulation, where we think. If we think, I'm going to go over there so I can see on the other side of that mountain, for example, uh, we're basing that on the simulation that we ran, thinking that we're next to a mountain, right? So if we create that motor output, we can flip that and think of it as a, as a way of creating new inputs into the simulation. So uh, it's useful to think about sensory input and motor output. And some neuroscientists say that's what our brain is for. It's, it's for taking in sensory information processing it and creating motor outputs that will help our survival. And, and, that's, and that's a great way to think about it. It helps to think about that and how our brain is set up and functions. And it, but to try to get to some of these questions that we've had so much trouble answering in neuroscience and you know, maybe philosophy, um, we can flip that around and think that our sensory information combines with as memories, very short term and different memories, with other memories and our brain simulating what we think is going on out in the universe. And then our motor actions are really not output, but they're new. They're, we're, we're trying to probe and, and create new uh, input into the simulation that we have running as our consciousness. And uh, I don't know if that made any sense, but um, it's, uh, it's, it's just a different way of thinking of it. So how does that impact this whole question about whether we're in a simulation? Well, it kind of means that we are automatically are in a simulation, right? Because everything that we think about our world and how we're interacting with the outside world is based on our memories and our cognitive function that's creating our expectations about what's around us, mm -hmm. what might happen next. And it's just different scales of memory that we're drawing upon to generate that simulation. 
Um, so I, I know that's getting kind of kind of out there. Um, <laughs> I swear the only thing in this uh, is coffee. <laughs> it's actually I, so after I listened to the podcast with with my brother Warren, uh, I I ordered some of the uh, I ordered the um, what's it called the uh, Rumble Time was it Rumble Time? Yeah. Yeah, and uh, that's what I have here. It's it's very good coffee. You know, the reason why is I I, I went out and ordered it was because um, because uh, you know if my brother recommends it, he's he's tasted a lot of different coffee right at the source. You know, yeah. uh, as you guys discussed, and uh, if he recommended it, I thought I'd give it a try. So yeah, it's it's good coffee. Um, but I swear that's the only thing in here. <laughs> <laughs> no, man, <laughs> Not micro dosing or anything like that. No, that's really awesome. And and I wasn't going to even go that direction, but I do want to ask you, you just brought up microdosing and, you know, we, all these different things about the brain and the pathways that we kind of create through habit and the assumptions that we make that kind of, to your point, do create some sort of a simulation. I've been really fascinated with a lot of the discussion that, you know, I, th I think a lot of people get from Joe Rogan's podcast and I've done a lot more research on the power of psychedelics and I've had my own experiences, but the therapeutic uses that maps is kind of experimenting with, with, um, you know, treating people with PTSD where they leverage psychedelics to take the mind to a different place. And then I think they're having, you know, therapy sessions and really remapping the wiring of the brain. Are you familiar with some I'm of so that so and so kind of how I'm that so would familiar with it? Yeah. Um, and these, uh, our brain runs on chemistry, right? It's, it's not like a computer where we have, uh, in, in, you know, circuits and, you know, think, we, we think, of, we like to think about that because we, we can see how computers work a little bit better than what we know how our brain works, but it really runs on chemistry and it doesn't just run on chemistry though. It's, it's a combination of chemistry and the microscopic and we don't even really know how low in the level of micro, how microscopic we need to go to really understand the brain but it runs on a, it's it's a it's a chemistry overlaid on on structure and so how the the brain is built so these these uh how the the cells connect to each other and how they interact with each other uh and in the chemistry can change the structure and obviously the structure confines where these where these chemi chemical molecules are and stuff like that uh, the neurotransmitters where they're taken up from how much they're taken up and that's all the basis of, of how our brain works and how we think so and a lot of these these conditions um such as uh ptsd um in some parts of of alcoholism addiction things like that uh they are based in a combination of this feed, this ongoing feedback between chemistry and structure of, of our the cells in our brain and if you give it a, a a change if you give it the ability to change you can you can direct resetting the the chemistry for a certain period and that's going to affect the underlying structure of your brain and so there's there's research coming out that in a in a well-defined and we need to do a lot more research on this to be able to figure out how to do it right but in a, in a defined setting it, with the right with accurate dosing that things like PTSD and alcoholism in some, some forms of those different disorders, this like um, psilocybin based mushrooms uh, and other types of hallucinogenic uh, drugs 
I'm not recommending you go out and do like an acid trip, right? I mean, that's that's gonna you, you're gonna you're gonna overwhelm the system and you're gonna create structural damage. You can think that way. But if it's done right in the right dosage, there's a lot of uh, exciting new studies coming out that 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 can actually be one of the most effective uh, treatments for some of these neurological disorders and conditions. Mm -hmm. So it's exciting time. There's there's a there's um, there's a lot of uh, research centers getting started on that are focusing solely on that. And as scientists, we, we want to follow anything that's that's going to um, open up new knowledge and open up new ways of of treating people and helping people. Uh, these some of these things are so widespread. Uh, it's just getting worse now with the isolation and the lockdown and all the turmoil. Um, it's it's uh, it's something that we 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 work as hard as we can to address it. And it's not always obvious that if it was obvious to, to, to solve these problems, we'd be doing it, you know what I mean? Somebody would be doing it already. And, and I was just having a conversation with a colleague. I think there's a fine line between listening to what's been done traditionally and just anecdotal information. We, 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 we as scientists need to listen to that and, and, and let it kind of guide our just kind of general uh, large scale thinking. But we also need the real basic science to, to understand which of these compounds, let's say it's, uh, for example, this is a real good example with the, like CBD, for example, which I take CBD just, you know, on my own, just, I, you know, I'm not recommending it, but uh, I think there's a lot of research that's indicating that it can be helpful. Um, but there's such a, a wide range, there's, there's well over 100 uh, different CBD-like compounds that can be found and isolated from cannabis. Uh, and some of them, many of them are likely very helpful. They can reduce, uh, there's strong indication that it, it uh, can reduce uh, seizures susceptibility. Um, there's actually an FDA approved version of uh, CBD that can be, that's, that's being used for certain drug resistant epilepsy. Um, but when you, I think there's a lot of benefits we could get from these other uh, compounds. But we, as scientists, um, we, we can go with how they've been used traditionally, but people have been breeding uh, cannabis for thousands of years. And we have such a variety of extraction methods and storage methods. And, you know, some of these things have been sitting on a shelf in a hot warehouse for, for you know, five years. And, um, it's going to affect your, it could be harmful if we don't know the right way to protect the chemicals and, and, and extract them properly. And in order to do that, we need to know what they're actually doing to your body. And that's where the, the research side of things come in. We, we use, you know, in, in some, a lot of cases, what we call reduction as scientists, where we, where we, we look, focus in on certain aspects. So we don't have all these confounding things coming in and making it so we can't tell what's going on in our in our data and in our research, and so we we narrow it down to a very specific part, and we look at okay if we apply this one isolate from let's say uh, full spectrum CBD, what's it going to do to the one type of cell that we think it's doing something to in our brain? And so, in that way, you build up step by step uh, the knowledge, and then then you can synthesize that and try to understand. What's the best approach? What's the best way to isolate, store, and use supplements and CBD and, and things like that? Um, so yeah, we have 
I'm doing some research with CBD even in my lab, and we have uh, we have some other other people that are working on CBD research in a variety of different areas. I'm I'm looking at it to see how it changes uh, neuroinflammation and stuff like that. Um, so the the ways that the cells change when either you have traumatic uh, brain injury or you have uh, an infection or just with aging, you kind of have this kind of breakdown and damage to the brain over the years. And so um, we're looking to see, but we're really narrowing it down. So I'm using mic microscopes and looking at how the cells like change their shape and stuff like that. When, when we, we do things like treat them with CBD, uh, other different um, uh, compounds and drugs uh, and just changing how they, trying to understand how they utilize energy and stuff like that in the brain. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I kind of went off on a, a tangent there. <laughs> no, I love it. I'm, I'm a big, big proponent of CBD. And again, not recommending it to anybody. Go do your own research. But I too, I've read a lot of positive things. I'm a partner in a natural supplement brand. So anybody that listens, they can, you know, go to action and buy yourself some stuff if you find it beneficial. But turmeric and CBD have kind of been my two new go-tos, both for just pain and inflammation reduction. Um, I've probably ate holes through my stomach with the amount of Advil that I took over the years, just from playing baseball and sports growing up and everything. And I personally have suffered from some autoimmune problems and it's gotten fairly severe over the last year and a half. Um, and I had a conversation with somebody and they were talking to me about leaky gut. And you said something earlier about the blood in the brain and the, the, um, the compounds or the kind of the um, biology that's kind of being affected there. And I've noticed a difference. I've, I've taken some glutamine at high doses to try to help repair some of what I believe is a, a broken down gut lining. And I've also really tried to hammer with CBD and turmeric to try to help with the inflammation because whether it be anxiety or even, I don't want to say depression, but certainly kind of maybe a little down sometimes and for no reason, um, pain, achiness, stiffness, and some serious stomach problems. And it hasn't gone away completely, but I've, I've noticed a change significantly by stacking all of that together. And I wonder if you've, yeah. a lot of people don't buy into the whole leaky gut thing and I've been told I'm full of shit, but, um, I don't know. And <laughs> in hearing you talk no about the, <laughs> but yeah, there, there's, there's, um, I, I'm not one of those people and, and uh, that doesn't buy into the, uh, the there, there's a strong connection uh, between the gut and the brain. You have a, actually a, like this, a nervous system about, you know, roughly the size of like a cat's brain in your, in your, in your gut. Um, you have the same, well, similar type of cells. Uh, you have neurons that are just like the very similar to the ones in your brain. Uh, you have uh, the same type of cells that regulate that uh, uptake of, nutrients uh, from your, from the blood supply in your brain into the rest of your brain. You have very similar cells in your gut um, that are controlling the activity of your gut, but they, they also feed back and, and you, they will become dysfunctional if, if you have some of these inflammatory problems because they form a, the, the, these cells that I study, they're, they're called astrocytes. They're a type of what's called a glial cell. They actually make up like about half of your brain, certain parts of your brain. It's, it's half so these it's, cells. It's like the connecting um, tissue, correct? Well, <laughs> it was originally called something like spackle or connecting tissue, um, like nerve and kittens or glue uh, yeah. connecting. But 
it's very much not that <laughs> these days. Uh, we know that they, they they're they're really like just like neurons. They're the neurons that you know about in your brain, and they're also in your gut. Neurons are in your gut. These cells, these these astrocytes, these glial cells in your breath are, are in your <laughs> are in your gut. Um, they they're like machines made out of machines, which are also they're made out of another another level of machines. They're extremely um, they're about as far as away from from uh, connective tissue as you can possibly get, actually. Uh, and they have they're, they're arranged in a certain way so that they take up nutrients like uh, in your brain, glucose and and hormones that are needed inside your brain that are made outside in in, in the blood. Um, they have specific ways of transporting those in, specific ways of processing them. They're like the the intake processing and distribution center of your brain. But they also serve as a, a kind of uh, immune cell uh, in certain ways. They have, they have response to damage and, and, and response to uh, infection and, and things like that. So they're, they're sort of a, uh, they have properties of, of immune cells as well. So they respond very strongly to things like inflammation and, and uh, damage, tissue damage. And if you have um, the various actual connective tissue and, and linings and the barriers that things are, that aren't supposed to be coming into contact with those cells, they are, those cells are going to change and they're going to be uh, changed into kind of more of a defensive or immune function. And they're not going to be able to balance those roles between, you know, acting as the uptake processing and distribution centers of your brain or your gut uh, and, and as well as, as they're, they're going to be kind of having be torn between that and trying to be an immune cell or, or react to the to the the damage or the insult. And so, one of the things that we've seen that um, sleep, uh, proper amounts of sleep, but also actually CBD is one of the things that we see it does is it kind of shifts these cells to a more um, a state of a more relaxed or resting state, a less reactive and you know defensive state. Um, I don't know much about what that's you know whether that carries over to the gut, but the gut and the nervous system of the gut has a strong interplay with the rest of the body, how well your gut functions. And in my case, actually, I didn't really expect. You know, this is an anecdote. It's just one person. I the placebo effect is very strong. But I didn't kind of, I, I, I don't really don't think I expected CBD to do anything for me. Uh, somebody recommended it for actually for gut issues, uh, digestive issues. And I was like, yeah, this isn't going to do anything. Right? And I might as well take it and <laughs> try it uh, just because I'm curious about, you know, trying different supplements and stuff like that. I tried it and maybe it was placebo. I don't think so. I, it, it, the strongest thing that I noticed was a change to gut function uh, in me. And I, and, and I, I wouldn't have even said that unless you had brought that up, but it, it, it was noticeable to me that I, my digestive system was, was working better and in, in a way kind of uh, more of the way I would, would like it to work. <laughs> so yeah, I still take CBD, uh, uh, full spectrum CBD, just be, for that reason, actually, for digestive health actually um, I think it might might change the way I sleep a little bit too um, and uh, it kind of makes me uh, get more 
wind down at the end of the day. Sometimes I, I have trouble shutting my brain off and trying to go to sleep. But, yeah. We're not very similar in everything that you've talked about to this point. I'm so not on your level, but I'm very much like you in the fact that I can't shut my brain off. And I've been a, a big advocate of cannabis. I find it extremely beneficial in a lot of ways, useful in a lot of ways for me. CBD, I agree. I mean, I was kind of the same way. I'm like, I, this is like an excuse to take something to sell something. And I tried it and the restfulness, I, I've been waking up feeling very relaxed and restful that, and that has the biggest impact that carry over to my daily life. You know what I mean? Like waking up feeling like crap and feeling foggy and tired and just like you didn't benefit from the time that you laid there in bed. I mean, sometimes I'd be frustrated with it too. It's just like, well, what? I should have just stayed up and, and gotten work done. And there's been times where I've been up late and I contemplated that, you know, for a long time, I was like, well, I'm not going to feel good if I go to bed right now anyway. So I might as well stay up for a little bit because I'm going to feel the same. And I've found a change in that now. Like if I can get to bed at a decent hour and I'm consistent with taking CBD, turmeric and a lot of water at night, I wake up feeling so much better. And I'm glad that I got seven, eight hours worth of sleep. Yeah. Yeah. It's frustrating when you're laying there and you're just like, I'm just wasting time. I, I, (laughs) I'm going to feel awful, but I can't, can't go to sleep. Um, but uh, yeah, and, and anything you can do, I think it helps too to uh, um, just turn down the lights and stuff like that as you start to get ready for sleep. But yeah, I definitely, again, I'm not advocating, I'm not you know, selling any product. I'm not even, not even, don't have any interaction with stuff like that. Um, but uh, you know, if, if you are having, I mean, I just, just, just look at what other people are doing and, and but, but get quality stuff. You don't want to get some, you know, knockoff that's, you know, like I said, it could be worse than not taking anything. If you take something that's uh, just something somebody like mixed in with weird chemicals and uh, that they found laying, you know, around the, around the shop and then uh, stored it in a hot warehouse for three months, it changes the chemical structures and stuff like that. So you want to get quality, quality stuff and you want to take it, um, I've heard people saying, you know, I'm going to take a 5,000% of some vitamin and stuff like that. That's also not, in my opinion, a, a, a good idea. <laughs> um, just, just, you know, everything in moderation and, and you know, um, is good and, and just trying to live a, a healthier lifestyle. I mean, I, exercise is, is extremely important too. Um, it's, it's one of the main ways you can, you know, help heart health, but also in your brain. It, it makes your brain release uh, things that are neuroprotective and um, help you learn new, new information and skills. So it, it's, it's hard to get enough exercise. I mean, I'm, I'm there too. I'm sitting in front of my computer all day. And the only exercise I get sometimes is walking up and down the stairs to the microscopes and stuff like that. But um, it's, uh, I think it's, it's good. I mean, I, I use VR for exercising now too. That's the other thing. I, I because it's fun, you know, I, I, I play Beat Saber a lot. That's it's a fun game. Uh, it, it's amazing too. And that's one of the things about the, the just playing Beat Saber. I went from being like unable to get through like a normal Beat Saber. Yeah, I don't know if people know this. It's like where you're in VR and you're, these things come out to the beat and then you have to cut them in certain directions and stuff with lightsabers, virtual lightsabers. And it's amazing how your your motor control and your 
pattern generation. You can um, learn to do something that I was like, a, it was like a baby learning to, to walk to, to doing like gymnastics or, 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 or dance or something like that. I went from you know being able to not get through the the easy level to doing the expert plus just the first time I, I try it you know and it's just it's stunning how adaptable your brain is and how much better you can get at skills like that and you kind of go into this mode where you don't even think and it's it's like you were saying earlier you kind of shut down one part of your brain and just and just have the other part of your brain go and and, and I think it's uh, it's interesting how you can train yourself to do that on different tasks and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and now it's going in a different level with Neuralink and everything that Elon's doing. I mean, I don't know how much I should believe I hear and read things. And it's like, it's got me afraid that if I don't go and drill a hole in the back of my head and throw some wires in there, that I'm going to be seriously behind the eight ball five or 10 years down the road. And that I'm going to have a competitive disadvantage against people who are willing to take that leap. I mean, am I crazy or... No, I, I think I don't think you're crazy. I think um, I don't think that's something you should worry about, quite frankly, uh, because we live in a in a in a world full of microbes and and things like that. I don't think people are going to be routinely drilling holes in their brain unless there's some medical need for it. Um, even though it might give you some kind of an advantage, there's other ways you can work around that. So things like wearable technology, where we can kind of have uh, we don't have to have that direct link. And for medical applications, I think it's going to be very important and powerful. We're already doing like a really, um, I shouldn't even call it crude because it's, it's changed so much in the last five to 10 years, but we're doing this deep brain stimulation, which is where you're putting electrical, uh, you know, charge into the brain uh, to drive and fix behaviors like uh, Parkinson's and, and depression and, and things like that. Um, but even with that, it, it's it's very risky um, to open up a hole because our our brains are biological things, and if they get attacked by microbes, it's going to be worse than than not doing anything at all. And um, just that act of drilling the hole in the brain, we we know it changes the structure of the cells. Even if you don't even open up the the dura and the, and the different coverings, the layers above the brain, even if you don't even get into the brain, just just messing with the skull uh, is going to change the brain, how it works and stuff like that. So I wouldn't worry too much uh, because I think what's gonna be uh, maybe a little bit less exciting, but more of a, a, a game changer in the technology side of things and, and, and how we can you know, get ahead up on, get ahead of our competition and stuff like that is through using our brain's capacity training ourselves because we're, we're, we have a pretty powerful computer up in our brain right now, uh, a lot more powerful uh, than, than anything that's available uh, on most tasks. There's certain things, very precise, fast things that computers can do much better than we can. But um, what we're gonna have is we're gonna have, we're already doing it with our cell phones. Like we can now answer pretty much any question or do any kind of math problem with just a handheld cell, cell phone. So. That's gonna progress and change. And a big driver of that is, is when we get better and better uh, things like machine vision and, and artificial intelligence. And that's also an area where Tesla and, and similar companies are working you know, heavily, mm -hmm. is being able to, what, what we can't do very well right now with artificial intelligence and why they have those CAPTCHAs where you have to see where the bus is in the pictures to make sure it's a human. 
uh, computers aren't real good at this higher level uh, inferences about you know what the meaning is that they're seeing, whether that's a, a boss or just a, a collection of things that might be in a street scene, for example. Um, they, they're not very good at putting things together like that. And, um, but that's gonna come. I, I think computers will continue to get better. I don't know what the, the rate at which they're gonna get better. I mean, it's pretty hard to be able to tell that. But, you know, things like deep learning, uh, deep neural networks, those are making inroads into that. And over the last five years or so, uh, kind of taking a bunch of different parameters and trying to generate some kind of a, a classification about what you're seeing. So as that goes forward, we're going to be interacting in a much more powerful way with this kind of like exterior brain, which is going to be either cloud-based computing or real, real fast parallel computing um, in devices that we have. And, and so I wouldn't be too worried about having to like plug directly into your brain because we have pretty powerful data streams coming in from our from our eyes, our ears, and um, just our memory and stuff like that. So I, um, yeah, I wouldn't let it keep you up at night, uh, as we were talking about earlier. Um, it's an exciting thing just on the biology side of it, trying to figure out ways that we can have more direct inputs into the brain through from a, a brain-computer interface. Mm -hmm. But on the side of like enhancing people, that's, uh, Maybe I'm going to go out on a limb here, but I think that that's more than a decade off uh, to be routinely actually interfacing with a computer other than with our eyes and our ears and stuff like that. Well, you will calm me down a little bit in my thoughts. Um, <laughs> so you, you had said like cutting even the skull can cause, is it kind of a defense response that like your body almost understands that there's something trying to invade a space that it shouldn't? And I would imagine this is probably in line with how head trauma kind of alters humans and how they behave. And I mean, there's so many stories about people who are completely different now than they ever were before. Oh, look at that. You know, stories about people who are completely different after they've, you know, been in an accident or had some sort of head trauma. And I mean, is there links? Obviously, there's links to CTE and then the long-term ramifications around like dementia and things of that realm but i mean is i it seems so complex and yeah so it is it's complex and, and and but it comes back to this idea that it's an interplay between the chemicals uh that are ongoing as part of the the interactions and how your brain works and the uh, the structure and it also comes back to what i was saying about the the glial cells in your brain are these you know um these little little like machines or distribution centers that have to perform these functions to keep your brain working and keep you able to sleep right, uh, to be able to process information, regulate your emotions, things like that. Um, that we see this breakdown uh, through a, a lifetime of damage and certain people are genetically predisposed, environmental factors will lead to the accumulation of damage. But what happens is, or if you have a series of, of trauma, you know, what happens is these cells will change how they work in your brain. And they, over time, because they're the cells that take care of the other cells and are also involved in the defense against uh, damage, as they become damaged and they don't work as well, 
you kind of have this downward spiral. And that's what we see in, we see this accumulation of, of phosphorylated, like damaged, uh, oxidated, uh, um, oxidative damage in the, in the brains of people that have CTE. Um, and their inability to sometimes sleep well, their inability to regulate their emotions, a lot of that's stemming from the um, dysfunction in these cells and the nutrient and blood supply to their brain, being able to take up what's needed to keep the neurons running well uh, and working well. And it's a breakdown in their ability to change when you sleep, for example, to clear out things like beta amyloid. So you've probably heard that you, you, you see some of these uh, amyloid um, deposits in the CTE uh, brains. Mm -hmm. And the, one of the most important ways to keeping that from that, those damaged proteins from accumulating is through what these cells are doing when you're sleeping. Uh, it's called the, the glymphatic system. Um, there's groups of researchers in a couple different places, places like um, upstate New York and, and some other institutes around the country, really discovered that when you're sleeping, uh, these cells get clean out your brain, essentially. And when they start to get more and more, take on more and more damage, they can't do that as well. And that just leads to like a, a, like a, down, like a vicious cycle of damage. And so that's why you see these brains that just look like they're really in rough shape and they have all these like aggregations of waste proteins and stuff like that. And a lot of that is because they can't clean themselves and they can't sleep as well. And then you start to have the neurons that are actually, you know, firing the signals and communicating with each other to produce thought and, and you know, um, regulate your emotions, keep your anger in check, for example. Um, when, you, when those neurons start to break down and not work well, because the cells that are taking care of them and getting them the nutrients and clearing out the waste, when that starts to break down, then you have the, the neurons themselves dying and not working right. And that produces this behavior that is so sad and so disturbing. And um, there's, there, there's ways we can try to, to, to fix that actually. And so, uh, different nutrient nutrition is important. Getting helping people get enough sleep. Uh, some of these supplements might help, and, and there's ongoing research. And that's why you know I'm researching at a cellular level what's happening to these cells when we put things like CBD, when we put uh, damage uh, like infl inflammation markers onto them. See how they change. See if we can prevent that with certain uh, other approaches like putting compounds onto them to help change that. Uh, prevent that damage in that response. So, yeah, the 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 whole CTE thing is is um it's something where it's the result of accumulated damage, and then these cells that are uh, cleaning up after you, the the damage, they're they start to not work right, and then it just creates this cascade. But yeah. So what's isn't there a there's a genetic marker? Because I know people who are currently alive, they'll go and, and get a blood test to see if they hold a genetic marker to make them more predisposed to CTE. How does that factor in? There, there's all different proteins that are expressed in the brain. And based on the, um, the underlying genetic sequence that then produces the slight variations of these proteins uh, will determine how they're processed. And so if you have uh, a propensity to 
um, not be able to basically chew up and process certain proteins that are really, really a lot of them in your brain um, based on just kind of like the sequence of how those proteins are made, that will predispose you to be uh, taking on and accumulating these damaged proteins and accumulating damage to the cells more readily. And so you can look for those variations in the sequences, uh, but you can't tell for sure because there's so much of a, you can see whether somebody's going to be predisposed to, to conditions like that. Um, there's genetic components to uh, your, your chances of getting Alzheimer's. There's certain people, because they have a, a, you can think of it as a mutation or a, a change to their, their gene sequence, that those proteins can't get processed correctly at all. Um, those people are these early onset dementia or early, early onset Alzheimer's people. But then there's like kind of, it, the sequence isn't exactly like that, but it's, it's a combination of a whole bunch of sequences that can predispose you to uh, your brain to just kind of accumulating damage or, or the neurons dying a little bit more easily. All these different things uh, can predispose you to, to different conditions and they often overlap. So um, you can see that some genetic, like with one gene, you, you have a, a couple of different conditions that often come on later in age, but they come on early and all at the same time because there's like a certain mutation or something like that. So, so basically um, we need to look at our brain the same way we would look at like our knee or our elbow or our shoulder. There's some of it could be genetic, but a lot of it is, are you stretching? Are you active? Did you put a lot of damage on it over the, over the years? And, and did you ice your knees when you got to like all, all of that kind of compounding together to lead to that accelerated rate of, of decline? All of those things could help. Uh, but then if you, if you get in an accident or you, you get a real bad knockout, if you're doing boxing or something like that, uh, it can be a big, a big influence. And, and all you can do then is, um, you know, try to do the, as much as you can to, with the best of our knowledge, you know, make sure you get enough sleep. That's why they tell you when you have a concussion, one of the reasons, uh, it helps to uh, produce healing. Essentially, these cells uh, can at least not die as much. You can give them a rest. They can better supply and manage the energy supply to, your, to, the, to the neurons and glial cells in your brain. That's why one of the reasons to sleep a lot when you've had some kind of even a mild head injury. Um, obviously, you want to go see your, go to, the, go to the emergency department and get a, get a CT scan or an MRI. If you get a, if you get a head injury, but then later you want to take it easy on yourself. Even like thinking, you have to you have to be uh, careful. You don't um, tax your brain too much. Uh, but on the other side of it, as you were saying, um, the you know there's things you can do: good nutrition, sleep, but also thinking about things and and, and feeling um, being pushing yourself, but also being uh, not feeling stressed all the time is, is important, I think, for your brain. Even mentally stressed is, I know that's easy to say, um, especially in this day and age again, but uh, it, it, it's, it does things to your brain and it's actually kind of damaging to be too stressed for too long. Um, and uh, it's good if you feel like that to try to just get out and do something, go for, uh, go for a walk, do something fun, you know, do something, you know, for yourself. So. Mm -hmm. No, man. You've given me a lot to think about.
kind of no pun intended there, but um, I, this conversation, I could sit here and talk to you for hours and hours of things that I have, and maybe we'll set up some time in the future and do this again. I, it would be a, a blast for me. Um, anything else that people should be looking out for? I mean, you, you talked a lot about different research that you're a part of and, and everything like more people come away from this conversation with interest. Where could they go? What should some things they be looking uh, or what are some things that they should be looking for in the future? Uh, it, it's always just, you know, look into the, there's, there's good uh, scientific articles being written that are, you know, for the public now with the, with the internet, you can find so much really cool stuff to, to learn about uh, if you're interested in these things. Um, look for the latest real research too, you know what I mean? Don't just go with the latest uh, thing that somebody's promoting. Look for the latest real research and see what the real experts are, are you know, talking about. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's really, uh, it's, it's, it's quite an eye opener to be, just like people will watch sports like wrestling or, or MMA, and if they've never done it, they, it's boring, uh, quite frankly. You see, you've probably been around people, they say, oh, this is boring, it's just people rolling around on the mat. Um, and that's because, yeah, the, but if you see somebody that's been a wrestler, for example, they're like moving and trying to like act like they're like they're what they would do in that situation. Same thing goes for science and, and, and trying to understand. I understand that the yeah, outside, the public hasn't been full on studying this stuff for 20 some years, uh, you know, so it's hard for them to, to know what, what's going on, but you can always get into it and, and read about it. And if it's, if it's in real, like, you know, scientific journalism, it's, it's the step into it. And, and you can always get more and more into it if you want to. Um, it's, it's something that, like, I've been training to be a scientist for 20 some years. Uh, very, all, that's been the whole focus. We have physicians and doctors that the people that I'm teaching, I'm not a physician, but the people I've been teaching, um, it's amazing the amount of effort and learning that they put into it, uh, the students in the medical school. And um, you, you, we, I don't have time to, to learn medicine so I can treat myself. They don't have time to learn how to be a full-fledged scientist. And I don't have time to get my black belt in jujitsu so I could, like, like, like my brother Warren does. So we each kind of specialize and we have to rely on people that we, that we can trust and, and that uh, we think have, don't have some kind of an ulterior motive um, to give us the the best information condensed for us as not the expert in that area. And so um, that's why we, we train in a, in a jiu-jitsu uh, gym uh, from a black belt. That's why I think we should listen to uh, scientists and, and look at different, what, what a variety of scientists are saying on different topics. Um, and look at what a variety of positions are saying. And if there's a consensus on something, then, you know, I mean, there's a lot of background behind that. There's with with physicians, there's at least at least eight years, probably more like 20 years of background learning, understanding full time, trying to trying to understand it and gain the knowledge and gain insights into what to do next. And so um, look at a variety of different sources, but but really look to the experts um, and rely on that to in conjunction with what, what you're seeing in in, in and how you as a person are going to live your life, obviously, but 
again, I guess I'm kind of sounding like a burden rag, but you could go, go. It's, it's always important to look to the, the people who have do, been, been training and working on something for decades before thinking you can go out and solve all the world's problems uh, in, in an area by yourself. So and that's the same world thing in, in computer science and <laughs> stuff. I hesitate to talk about those topics too much because um, it's not really my expertise, but yeah, it's, it's fun to always talk about the variety of things. And that's why we're, that's why we're here in, in a podcast, I guess. Oh, heck yeah. There is something that I actually just thought of that I wanted to ask you. So we touched on how uh, trauma can impact the brain. And is there a way, I guess it wouldn't really matter. I think the answer you're probably going to say is don't worry about it. But as somebody, I, as a young kid, I was a couple years old and I fell off of a fairly large slide. I was, I climbed up to the top and I fell and I hit my head hard, spent a night in the hospital, but I don't believe they like did every test. I'm from a super, I'm from Bradford PA. So I know yeah. you, um, we're kind I of heard from that like, Warren's podcast. So that's North, yeah. uh, North of where, where I grew up in. Yeah. And not that there's not talented people there, but I, I just think back to the conversations I've had with my parents on how that all went down. And I don't think that they really know what happened to me. And I'd be curious, I'm a very impulsive person in nature. I have a brother that's like the complete opposite and I get it. Everybody can be born different and have their own personalities, but would there be a way if I wanted to, to go and look and see if there was some sort of trauma related imbalance inside of a brain or is that not even something that's worth the time and effort to go and look at, even if you're just curious about it? Well, I think it would be interesting just to see how your, your brain like changes where it allocates uh, energy supply and stuff like that. So, and how there might be noticeable differences between that and somebody who's maybe a little bit less impulsive. A lot of great research like that's going on in that area. You can do a functional MRI that will allow you to look at how your brain shifts its um, uh, energy allocation essentially uh, under different tasks. So like if you have to make a, a split second decision, does your brain work differently than somebody else's? Yeah, you can look at that. Um, unlikely that there's like long lasting noticeable structural damage that you could see and, and that you could relate that to uh, your personality traits and stuff like that. It's unlikely. I mean, anything's possible. But um, also, also when, when something like that happens when you're, when you're a young child, um, it can change the tra trajectory of your of your uh, neurological development but there's so much kind of adaptability in the younger brain that it's not necessarily i mean you don't want to go out and like fall off a slide on purpose but um there's so much your brain has such a capacity especially when you're younger to kind of rearrange and and and, and try to make up for things and it's not just like it's making up for it it can um it can actually have throughout the course of your life have benefits um, in being more impulsive or uh, having a certain personality trait where it's not necessarily always a bad thing to be really focused in on something or uh, be at, interact with pe other people differently. We shouldn't always think of that as like a, as a, as a bad thing. Um, it's, it can give you a different path through life and that can lead to great outcomes. For example, if you hadn't been as maybe as uh, making, you know, split second decisions and stuff, maybe you wouldn't have a podcast, you know, and stuff like that. And so uh, we, we always have to be careful to not like label something as bad or good and personality traits. Obviously, 
we, we don't, it can, it can affect the quality of our life in a negative way if we have really bad uh, inability to, know, to regulate, you know, anger or other strong emotions. Uh, it can be bad if we can't focus on something to accomplish a task. But within the wide realm of what people can do, um, I wouldn't worry too much about whether a, dan a, a, a certain incident that you've recovered from, obviously, yep. it was many, many years ago, whether that's what drove you to a certain uh, personality characteristics or something like that. It is what it is. Uh, those things can change your trajectory and your neural development. But um, I, yeah, I think, I think there's only so much we could do and it's, and it's changed a lot over the years since that would have happened. Um, and it depends on where you are, you know, in the country, some people will have access to uh, a certain level of care and some people aren't. Um, I had a real bad concussion from uh, wrestling uh, one time and uh, it, was, uh, it was, it was quite a, it was quite a, a experience. I was with, I was with Warren and we went, uh, we went wild boar hunting the next day and I, I couldn't stay awake and I fell asleep in the snow. And I woke up and there were wild boars running around me. <laughs> so um, that was from a, a wrestling concussion. And um, I don't know. I mean, it's, it could be that that has changed the way my, my memory works. And uh, maybe I would have been an investment banker or maybe I would have been a, um, a baker. Who knows? But, uh, you know, it's, we, we, we take our trajectory and they're, and they're affected by all these little these incidents and stuff like that so. yeah no i've definitely i've benefited or at least i've figured out a way to adapt into my benefit whatever type of impulsivities i have whether it's from that or not i just i've always as i've learned more and kind of heard more about the brain and how it functions i've always thought back to that because it was like tw like 10 feet up i i was up there and i i remember it vividly uh um, yeah. kind of th that drawn out experience and it's uh, it's always stuck in my mind, but yeah, those are quite the thing when when so, well, especially when you're a kid and you're so used to your you're just kind of going your daily life, and then when something affects your brain function so profoundly like that, uh, it's something that really sticks with you, and it probably did. I mean, it probably did change how you behave, whether it's uh, just the experience of that incident or the actual uh, effect of it on your brain. Uh, it probably did change the. The course of your life uh just as a lot of things do but uh yeah well we can thank my mom's negligence for putting us on a crash course <laughs> to have this conversation i guess right? <laughs> yeah 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 so you were you're talking about the um simulation universe there's also the uh multi uh universe um theories and uh in some other uh, version of it we're not having this conversation who knows though i'm not a, i'm not a um a quantum physicist or uh, uh anything like that so I can't. I, I'm. I'm always interested in that. I, I love reading about that stuff. Uh, um, and and it does kind of every once in a while come back to like consciousness and you know how we're perceiving our our place in the universe and stuff. But yeah. Anyway. No. Man. Yeah. This this is a. Uh, hopefully, you got some good material out of this conversation uh, as a podcast. I know this is kind of an orthodox uh, conversation. But no, man. Th this is what I. This is what I love and you know, awesome enough that the community's growing. It's kind of crazy. I, I kind of, I tried to get away from watching it grow um, for a little bit because I wanted it to just be more about the conversations that I'm having. And 
every once in a while I'll go and peek. Usually when I'm uploading a new episode, it's, you know, all the metrics are there. And I was having, I, I said this on the last podcast, but I'll, I'll, you know, I come from a small town. You're familiar, you're like, you know, that life. And when you grow up in a small town, this you're you put sometimes you put limits on what you think is possible or out there. And it's really strange to now I've built a community that's getting larger than the community that I even came from. And I've done it from sitting here during a pandemic on the other side of a computer. I've got people that are messaging me who are now messaging each other that I've, you know, somebody's reached out to me about a question and I've actually put them in contact with a podcast guest. And that even on the micro level that I've been able to do that on is so cool. And I'm just excited to, a, have more conversations like this, you know, more with you in the future. I'm, you know, trying to line up a conversation with your brother, Clint. I mean, yeah. the things that that guy's doing, it's just like anything that I can bring in, share with people and, and create a fun little place to go and uh, escape for an hour or so, you know, hell, why not? And it's, uh, it's benefiting.